But the word that I want to share with you, God spoke to my heart and said, what, do you want to, what is your word for, you know, for me to share this Sunday? And he gave me one word, which stand. Stand. Now, <clears throat> you know, stand can, be, can mean different sort of things for us. And let me say, first of all, that is, <clears throat> this is not about the stubborn standing. You know, I'll just stay put and I'll do nothing and I'll just watch the world go by. We can get back into your blanket and sleep for the year and that would be like standing in a way. But that's not what this means. Stand can also mean uh, much more proactive, uh, much more um, positive action on our part. And it seems almost like you know, uh, an opposite sense of what the word might, might um, mean for us. But let's see if we can understand it better. Stand, I believe here, means to be established, to be unshakable, to, to remain firm against the things that might come against us, um, to be strong, yeah, and the, <clears throat> the word actually sort of has connection with the idea of a strong and solid foundation on which a building can be built. Yeah? So, if we're looking to, uh, to build in our lives this year, and I hope we all are, then we need to have the firm foundations, we need to stand. So, so that's what I wanted to think about um, <clears throat> this morning. And the verse that came to me, interestingly enough, was uh, one which uh, Jeremiah received from the Lord during a time when uh, in, in, the, in the society in which he lived there was actually breakdown and disaster that was to come. Now, I'm not saying there's disaster coming but there's certainly we, we sense, don't we, a breakdown in society today. Isn't that? Is that right? You know, there's some confusion, there's chaos um, there's all kinds of things that threaten really the peace and order of society. And Jeremiah was living in a time when he was, God was saying to him, but something was happening around him with the fear of, of uh, and of course the actual invasion of Babylon uh, and the, you know, the, the, the coming apart of God's people. And God says through Jeremiah, that this is what the Lord says, Jeremiah 6.16, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient paths, the good ways, and walk in it. And I believe that at this time, we need to rediscover some of that. And of course, Jeremiah didn't have the apostles as we do, or their apostolic teaching, but he certainly had <coughs> he and the other prophetic voices around that time 
we're hearing and receiving from God. <coughs> we have the privilege where we are today to have before us the whole, uh, you know, in the Bible, the whole record of the apostolic and prophetic teachings. Yeah? And uh, it doesn't, isn't that what Paul says when he writes to Ephesians? He says, the church which is founded on the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. And so, um, you know, the teaching of the apostles and prophets has endured the test of time. Right? And that's one of the things which we need to think about and uh, to stand on, as I will say in a moment. However, of course, we know that God's revelation also, thank you, um, also, you know, is not in a sense static. You know, he, uh, I think some of us maybe understand about, you know, the Logos, which is the received word, the written word in the Bible, and the Rima, which is the Holy Spirit, inspiration of the word that applies into our times, <coughs> circumstances. So, I'm not saying that we should just throw away all new ideas and, and, you know, new thinking, but neither should we be gullible to receive everything that we hear, regardless of who said it. We need, of course, to exercise our own judgment and wisdom and test yeah? But at the same time, while we we shouldn't be set and stuck in our ways. Right? But neither should we be tossed to and fro by every fashion, every fashionable idea and thinking. We have to be prepared to be challenged this year, to be stretched, to grow, but let's not chase after every latest, you know, spiritual fashion that comes along. You know how it is, don't you? Yeah? Um, spiritual fashions come along and oh, the latest thing to do or grab or think or believe, let's be wise. So, what does it involve us to stand? I want to use the, the five letters to help us to, uh, to think about this. Uh, and of course, this is the only way uh, but maybe this will help us at least get started. So the first thing is steadfastness. Steadfastness. And essentially, what I mean by that is to stay confident in God and believe God. Not just believe in Him, because we can believe all the things about Him, but we need to believe yeah, just like you, when you came in and you saw the chair you're sitting on now, you believe that it was made okay, and you know that Brother Bonard, when he came this morning, didn't quickly go with a saw and cut all the legs so that when you sat on it, it would collapse. You believe that the chair will hold your weight, right? But until you sat on it, you didn't believe, in a sense, in the chair. In the same thing with God, we can know all sorts of things and believe, yes, he's this, he's good, he's all that thing. But when it comes to put your weight on God, that's when you believe God. The steadfastness is to remain confident in 
God and believe God. In Psalm 20 verse 7, the psalmist says, Some people trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They, these people who trust in chariots and horses, are brought to their knees and they fall, but we rise up and stand firm. So what are chariots and horses? Well, we don't see them today, but of course, what it meant for the people at the time <coughs> was <coughs> the, the strengths, the capabilities that they could provide in their own strength. Right? It was, it was the chariot and horses, I suppose, were the equivalent to them today. They would have um, you know, tanks and weapons and so on to protect us from their uh, enemies. Um, um, of course, these things are necessary at times, and you know, when we read about, for example, the Ukraine, uh, you know, asking the uh, Western allies for more uh, weapons, you know, in the olden days they'd be asking for chariots and horses to fight against their enemies. So the chariots and horses aren't necessarily bad things, but the point that God is making is that, you know, some people just simply rely upon the things of man to rescue them. And they put their, their assurance on those things. Now, now these things are not necessarily bad and they can be sufficient for a while. But at the end of the day, they are as mortal as we are, aren't they? They can be destroyed. They are vulnerable. And so, they are exposed to the same vulnerabilities and the same mortality as our flesh. And no matter how wise man is, no matter what his abilities are, right, whatever he creates can't sustain him in safety and can't give him a real assurance of peace. Yeah? Is that right? Because the things that are of the flesh, says God, will ultimately fail and fall because they are of flesh, you know. But he says, in in contrast to that, trust in the name of the Lord. Now we know what the name of the Lord means. It means His nature, who He is, and His power. And so what he said is, put your weight and confidence on who God is. Right? And on his nature and power. When everything around, everything else seems chaotic. When, you know, our very institutions appear to fail and fall. And isn't that the kind of situation we face today? Right? You know, things that we thought was so solid, health service. Yeah? Our financial institutions, um, all, all kinds of things that seem so solid, now seem in various ways so chaotic and so weak. When all this is happening, God urges us to remember that He is 
the sovereign of the universe. He is Almighty God. He is Yehovah Elohim, the God who is in charge. Right? And so, by putting our weight on Him, we will remain unmoved and unshaken in our confidence. <clears throat> Why? Because the one in whom we put our confidence in is not shakable. He is the one who remains constant. His nature does not change. <clears throat> so steadfastness <clears throat> calls us to remain single-minded. and entrusting His sovereignty over all our affairs, every detail of our lives. Now, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't, of course, I'll say of course, I'll confess to you that I don't bet. Right, right. Um, but there is an expression that you may have heard called spreading our bets. Do you have heard that expression, spreading our bets? Um, that, that basically means that instead of you know, betting on, on one thing happening, you bet on many different things happening, so that you, know, you hope that something will happen in all the different things. That means that at the end, even if you lose a bit here, you will eventually come out better. Yeah? So now I've told you, but don't go and do it. <laughs> it's an experiment, spreading our bets. Um, and the idea of it is to try to uh, ease our losses and to cover every possible angle that we can think of. Yeah. So Tom, when he this Tom here, when he was when he was host age. Um, he could never eat with a biscuit in one hand. He always had to have one in each hand. Right. So he was spreading his bet in case when he finished one, everyone had eaten and he didn't get another one. So he thought, oh, well, I'll have two. I'll have one in each hand and I'll spread my bet. Or in case his brothers decided to take one off him anyway. <laughs> so he got very clever. He knew how to spread his bet to, to increase his chances of success. But you see, the Israelites tried many times to do this, because if you look at their history as a nation, they, they trusted in political and military alliances with many other nations, right? Even though God had warned them that these nations would not be good for them. But why did they do it? They did it as a backup to God. Just in case God somehow failed them, well then maybe the Egyptians will help us, or maybe the, you know, the Syrians would help us, or whatever other alliance they happened to decide to chase after at the time. The problem is that each time they, it ended in tears for them. Each time, you know, something went wrong. 
And in fact, in the end, it resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem. And the nation was humiliated into exile. So God tells us not to spread our beds, but to be steadfast in confidence in Him. Now, He won't live our lives for us. And so, we always have the choice whether we live in the chaos that comes through spreading our beds, right? Or we cast ourselves fully onto God and walk the path that He sets for us. You know, sometimes, you know, I'll trust God in this, but just in case I'll also do this, I'll also do that. And that ends up in double-mindedness, doesn't it? You know, Jesus gives us the example of what it is to be steadfast. Luke tells us that when Jesus knew that it was his time, his time to go to the cross, it says, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Steadfastly set his face to go to He knew what was going to come. He knew the pain and the suffering and all that was going to come. But he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And the writers of the Hebrews puts it in this way. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and the shame. So, Jesus showed us that being steadfast doesn't mean doing nothing. It doesn't mean doing nothing. It means putting aside the fears and the doubts and all the other things that might stop us right, from pursuing and walking in what God's called us to do. And that may mean sometimes actually putting aside the agenda that other people might have for us. Other people had agendas for Jesus. They wanted him to do things differently. Even his own, his own friends, disciples, questioned sometimes his steadfastness to go to Jerusalem and to walk that path of suffering. But it means putting those things aside and embracing Father God's assignment for you with complete trust. Complete trust of his sovereignty being in charge. That is what steadfastness is. In Isaiah 40 verse 31 we have we read the word we're so familiar with those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength they will ride up and wait like eagles they will run and not be weary they will walk and not faint and that word wait on the Lord is a is not a very good translation because it sometimes gives us the impression that again we just sit on our backside and do nothing what the word actually means is it, it actually is, is a word that talks about uh, that is used for when two pieces of rope are actually um, in, in sailing they do this very often and the word they use is spliced you know, spliced together in other words if it's a technique that you take two ropes you pull out the different strands and you can weave them together so that they become one and 
becoming one that way, they can't be separated. And that's the word that is translated to mean weight. In other words, what he's saying is, entwine yourself, bind yourself to God in that way. You know, bind yourself to Him in that inseparable way. And you will renew your strength. That is steadfastness. So it's time for us, for our steadfast confidence in God, to give hope to others. So the other, I'm not going to take as long on the others, but here we go. The next one is truth. Um, <clears throat> we know about the belt of truth, don't we? What does the belt do? Apart from look good. Hold your pants up, yes, or your trousers. And for the Roman soldier, of course, it was important because it held together all, all the kind of, you know, essential bits of his clothing. Uh, it was very difficult for him to fight if his, you know, clothes were not were coming off or not actually held together properly. And that's, in a sense, why Paul uses that image that truth is like a belt. Truth is like a belt that holds everything together. Yeah? Because without confidence in truth, where does it leave us? It leaves us naked. It leaves us vulnerable. It leaves us without assurance. Truth gives us the foundation to trust. Yeah? Because if we are to trust Father God, then we need to believe that what He says is true, no matter how impossible it might seem to us at the time. So when He promises to protect you, to provide for you, to care for you, when He promises His faithfulness, when He promises His acceptance, His love, His victory, His forgiveness, these are all true. But they're true not because they all sound good and reassuring, which they are, but they're true because He has shown that He delivers on them. Time and time again. So whether we see it, or whether we think it to be the case at the time, he delivered on what he said. And so he shows that it's true. Jesus, of course, puts it this way. He says, Father, speaking to God, his Father, he says, your word is true. And whatever God says is true. And who, and who is his word? His word is Jesus. You know, his word is Jesus is the expression of God. The word of God. And so he says, I am true. The living truth. So Paul, when he talks about the armour of God, as many of us are familiar with, he talks about the belt of truth and the other bits of armour. And then he says, put on the 
full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the schemes of the devil. What are the schemes of the devil? The schemes of the devil, right, in other words, what he uses is what? The biggest thing the devil uses is lies. To twist the truth of God and to break our confidence in him. Right? So Paul charges us to stand firm by anchoring ourselves in the truth of God and not allowing ourselves to be diverted into a divided heart. Because that's what the devil wants to do and tries and seeks to do. And it's amazing, isn't it? Because when you think about it, that Jesus said, I am the truth, not I, he is the truth. Yeah? He said, I am the truth. And he said, the truth will set you free. And then he promised us that when he returns to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, to live in us, who is the Spirit of Truth. So you see how truth is actually connected with the person and the life of Jesus himself. Yeah? And so when we choose to stand firm on the truth of God, we're choosing more than just words. What we're choosing is to connect with the power of his life in you. Because he said, I am truth. I set you free. My spirit, the spirit of truth, lives in you. The truth is a dynamic power in us, in you. And it's not just about believing some words, it's about connecting with a life of power that lives in you. So Paul can say in writes to the Corinthians, he says, Thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. People are searching for truth today, aren't they? They're searching for truth. They're searching for who can give them, what can give them, a framework for life, right? that they can rely on and that they can be secure in. Some people, of course, try to invent the truth to suit themselves. The problem when you do that is that you have to keep reinventing the truth. Because what you invent today may not apply tomorrow if you invent it yourself. And when you start doing that, then truth becomes insecure. There's no basis for it. Right? But we know not just truth, we know the truth. And this in you. And this is the time for us to stand firm and to stand for truth. God's truth. The living truth. So that we are secure and that we can raise a banner for truth. That those who speak can find the answers. So we're going to stand, we need to be steadfast, 
we need to hold to truth. The next thing is A for authority. Paul says, again, <clears throat> writing to the Colossians, now it is God who makes, us, who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. God makes us and you stand firm in Christ. Now there are many ways in which we stand firm in God. But the one way I want just to point out this morning is that of authority. This is such a significant area in which we stand firm in Christ. In the authority we have over the realm of darkness. Jesus, in those words we know well, in Matthew 28, when he was, just before he returned to his Father, he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, now you go and make disciples of all men. But you don't just go, you go, and very implied in that is you go with my authority that has been given to me over all things in heaven and on earth. You know that an ambassador for a country, right, carries all the authority and power of the country they represent. Yeah? You know that, don't you? So who are we? We are ambassadors for Christ. Right? So he sends us to do his work carrying this authority that's been given to him that he now gives to us and given to us. And the power that we have over the devil and over the works of darkness arise out of this authority that Jesus has invested into his disciples. Writing to the Ephesians, Paul says, God has raised Jesus and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The right hand means the place of authority, the place of power. Right? But then he goes on to say, he says, he has seated him in his right hand in the, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion. Right? You know these words, don't you? And he's given him the name that is above every name. There's one thing the devil knows for sure, lots of things he knows, but the one thing he does know for sure is that he cannot challenge the place and supremacy of Jesus. He cannot challenge the victory of Jesus directly. Because God has placed Jesus in that place and there's nothing going to change it. The enemy has been defeated. He's been made a footstool for Jesus. So what's the devil's only option? The devil's only option is to attack the church, you and I. Right? Why would he do that? Because Paul goes on to say, he says, not only has he placed Jesus in the right, at the right hand of God, in the place of authority and power, but he says, and you 
who are his disciples, are seated in the heavenly places with him. That's where we are. Right? Now he can't, the devil can't challenge Jesus, so what he tries to do is convince us that we are not there. That's where he places his attack, is to convince us to yield to him the authority that's been entrusted to us. So that he can continue to have dominion over the world. Now, it's a, we won't go into that this morning because it will take a bit more time. But basically, he stole that from Adam and Eve, which is why he gained dominion over the world. Right? But Jesus has restored us into that place of authority. And what the devil tries to do is to kill us deceive us, disempower us, right, through life, from exercising our authority for the kingdom of God on earth. And it's time for us to stand firm in our authority over the dominion of darkness. There's a lot we could say about that. Maybe it be something that we can, over the course of this year, we can talk and learn more about Right? But the kind of evil that threatens our society, how is that going to be turned back? How is it going to be resisted and overcome? Not through chariots and horses, but through God's people exercising their authority over the powers of darkness. And so we're going to stand, we need to stand firm in the authority that we have and exercise that authority. And that's how you see cities like Cardiff changed when the church arises and exercises her authority <coughs> over the powers of darkness or anywhere else, Mega, Newport. So authority. The next one is a, I couldn't find a better word, so if anyone can interpret this for me, please exercise that gift now. Noble-mindedness. No power of interpretation. <laughs> what does noble, noble mean to you? Royal. Royal, yeah. You know Paul says uh, in one of the versions in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is noble, think on such things. And in some translations, it claims to us so far honorable or, or uplifting, yeah. Higher. Yeah, the higher thinking. Thinking at a higher plane level, right? And this is about the attitude that we carry in ourselves, especially towards others and towards our circumstances. It's the attitude that we carry. <coughs> So first of all, others. Paul says in Philippians, he says in humility, value others above yourselves. In humility, value others above yourselves. <clears throat> now this doesn't mean to make yourself a doormat so everyone can walk all over you. Alright? It doesn't mean putting yourself down. What it means is appreciate 
the fact that everyone has value, right? And that I am not superior to anyone else. That's what he's saying. So, it's about how we relate to others, how we speak of them, speak to them, how we think about them. And it encourages us to do that in ways that lift them up to their God-given potential. Rather than consistently finding fault and criticizing. You know, it makes me wonder, where would the disciples have been if Jesus had related to them, uh, you know, according to their faults, rather than relating to them according to their potential? Where would hope be if we related to her as someone today who sort of struggles to walk and, you know, and um, I love the vocabulary. You know, I, love, I, I can learn the language so easily. It's, ah! But if we, all we ever did was talk to her, ah! Would she ever learn to speak? No. But we relate to her according to potential. We see her as someone who learned to speak, who is intelligent, you know, who is, who is amazingly gifted, like her grandparents. I thought you might get that. I wouldn't speak myself up as well. But you see, we live in a culture, don't we? A culture of fault finding. A culture where you could say it's assassination by social media. And how important it is for us to hear this, this word of noble-mindedness and humility value others over yourself. And there's another word that, that this means. I looked up and it's this word. Ready for it? Magnanimous. Wow, there you go. Magnanimous. M-A-G-N-A-N-I-M-O-U-S. Magnanimous. What does that mean? It means generosity, right? <clears throat> now normally we think about it in terms of money, but it's not just about generosity in our wallet, but again it's about generosity in our attitude. It's about having a heart that's open and a heart that abounds in the grace of God. So Jesus put it this way, he said, and these words in Matthew 6 you may be familiar with, he said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, some of you will remember that Jesus said this in the context of our attitude to money, right? But he wasn't just talking about money. See, he was making, he was using money to make a point. Because for the Hebrew people, <coughs> the eye, right, represented how a person approached life and their attitude and outlook on life. And so the point that Jesus is making is that 
if a person's outlook on life is open and generous, then their personality will be full of light and will shine, right? And if they will not be dark, they will flow with light. But if on the other hand they are inward consumed, right, then they will be dark because they will be consumed by anxieties and fears and so on. And less likely therefore to trust Father God. So the question we can ask ourselves is what flows out of me? Is it more light or is it more darkness? Yeah? Magnanimous, being open-hearted and generous in our attitude. And society today needs us, God's people, to flow in light and not be constrained by darkness. You know, yes, hard times are, are ahead of us. But will we clothe ourselves in, into ourselves and lose Father God's perspective? Will we be dominated by negative narratives that we hear all the time? Or will we open our hearts to be illuminated by His light and His hope and then will be illumination to others as well? So this is the time to stand firm in generosity, in magnanimity, in noble-mindedness so the light of Christ that's in you can be clearly seen and flow out to others. Lift others up from their places of darkness and transforming into the transforming light of Jesus. Right? So it's time to stand in, in and stand for noble mindedness. And the last one, D for deliverance. Paul says to the Colossians, he says, He has rescued us, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And to the Galatian church he wrote, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In a way, it summarizes what we've been talking about. Because what Paul is saying is, he has rescued us from a dominion of darkness into the kingdom of sunny love. He's saying, in Christ, you live under different management. Right? Under different management. You don't live under the, ma- under the management of darkness, but you now live under the management of light. A management in which you are endowed with authority and power against darkness. Why? To win back the kingdom for God. That kingdom which the devil stole from Adam and Eve. And how can we do this? We can do this because, as Paul goes on to say in that same letter to Colossians, he says that Jesus disarmed the 
powers and the authorities. In other words, he disarmed Satan of his weapons and his dominion. He disarmed him and he placed us, his people, his church, in that place of authority, in that position of spiritual government, seated with him in the heavenly places. Now you may know that one of the wonderful readings that we have at Christmas time especially, and I think we should read this really more than at Christmas time, and I hope we do, from Isaiah 9, verse 7. You know that? How does it for to us? The Son is born to us, the child is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. And then he goes on to say, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever. From the time of his arrival and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Clearly talking about Jesus and what this son born on Christmas would accomplish. But how? Through his church. Through you and through me. We are the people of his government here on earth. He has disarmed the powers and authorities and given us the government for his kingdom to be established and enforced here on earth. He calls us to wake up and stand firm in the victory that belongs to us. He calls us to exercise and enforce the government of his kingdom in our communities, in the places where he puts us, you know, whether it's on the wards, in the theatres, in the shops, wherever it might be. That the people around us may be delivered from darkness into his glorious light. So we need to stand on that truth, right? And to activate it. This is the time for us to do that. The victory that we have in Christ. We don't just have the victory in Christ. We are the victors in Christ. It is time for us to seek and understand His strategies. Right? In wherever you are. His strategies to see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as He's decreed in heaven. So, in summary, 2023 is a year to stand, right? With confusion and chaos that threatens our societies, we, the people of God, are the ones who carry the hope of the world, the light in us. We need to communicate and convey this hope to the world. And we do this to stay steadfast in our confidence in Father God. We do this through holding firmly to this truth. We do this through exercising the awesome authority we have in Christ. 
We do this through living in that generous, noble-mindedness that looks up rather than down. We do this through enforcing God's deliverance, His victory, His deliverance of captives from darkness into His glorious light. Let's stand in 2023. Let's stand now as we pray and receive this word for ourselves. Let's stand. Father God, we do uh, thank you so we don't understand it ourselves as we look at our own friends but we thank you that you have appointed us your church as your government in this world the government of your kingdom and Lord that as we look out and we see the, the situation before us that we don't need to describe right now we all know it Lord and we wonder you know, that people may ask where does our help come from and we know our help comes from the Lord, from you but you have appointed us and called us to be your channels, your agents uh, the ex- executors and forces of your kingdom on them so Lord today we want to make that commitment to you to stand this year 2023 to stand, Lord, and be steadfast with you, to stand and hold firmly to your truth, to stand and to understand and exercise the authority given us, and you will see the powers of darkness roll back and overcome over our communities and peoples, to stand in that noble mindedness that looks up and not down, and remains in the hope that you have uh, brought a life in us and to stand for that deliverance that you have accomplished through Jesus in making, bringing us into that place of victory of being seated with him in the heavenly places from which we can exercise the government of your kingdom here on earth so thank you Father, we want to make that commitment to you today, 1st of January, at the beginning of this year, that we will stand and see your kingdom come and your will be done, here on earth, as you have decreed in heaven. Amen.